It is a privilege to come and bring a word this morning and I'd like to pray. Father, I thank you for your presence which is already here among us. I thank you, God, that where two or three are gathered, you are there. And we know you're here. We know that your presence is among us. But God, we ask in Jesus' name that you will continue to speak to our hearts, to challenge our souls and to lead us, God, deeper into relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for having me here this morning. It's uh, wonderful. I mean, I would have been here anyway. I was going to come anyway, but I was, I, I found myself on the roster to speak and, um, it's a, it's a great privilege. And this morning I want to talk again about love. Pastor Dave, who happens to also be my husband, I call him Pastor Dave at home though, of course, of the greatest respect. Pastor Dave, would you make me a coffee? <laughs> Share with us last week, uh, on the chapter on, of Romans chapter 12. And I want to just read to you the verses that he read to us, that he spoke from. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you a leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. There's so much there, isn't there? And this morning, what I would like to do is read to you and speak from the following verses. It goes on. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. (laughs) Amen. Thank you for having me. (laughs) That's kind of enough, isn't it? Isn't that, aren't they fantastic verses for life? And, and you could just pick up on any of those and speak forever. But recently, uh, 
probably, well, actually, it's getting on a little bit now to this time last year, perhaps not so recent. We uh, spoke into a series called Love One Another. And it was days in my heart to really, um, as a church, begin, um, obviously, we, we'd already begun the journey of learning to love one another, but to really just delve into uh, what it really means to love one another and what, you know, this, this throwaway line and this cliche almost of Christianity in, in loving one another. What does that really mean in a practical sense? How can we be better at it? And we had different people share their stories and we, we had, uh, you might remember if you were here and if you weren't, sorry, we didn't record it. Pro- oh, we probably have the, the recording somewhere, but not a video. And we had different people share their experiences of where the church had got it right and where the church had got it wrong. And we learned from that and we really delved into that topic. You know, how, how can we actually love one another better? How can we really take on this mantle of our faith and, and actually, you know, put, put wheels on something that we talk about all the time and, and we throw it away as a line all the time, but perhaps don't always know how to do it effectively. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. It says in John chapter 13, 35, it's the way that we love one another that actually God reveals himself to the world. Now, that sounds really obvious, doesn't it? But it's by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We think, of course, well, of course we have love for one another. Of course, that's easy. You can tick that box. It just comes naturally to me. But let's look a little deeper into what that love looks like and how it can relate to us, particularly in this season that we're in as a church and where we're headed and where we're going and all of that. Because it's not a fancy program or a clever outreach event that shows the world how much we love them or how how good God is, but it's in the way that we love each other. Nothing against the program or event, nothing at all. I'm all for it. But it's not the event in itself that shows the love of God. It's the way that we love one another. The events and the programs are tools that we use, the vehicle by which we share the love of God with one another and others. We should not be afraid of the event or the program when its intention is to reach the world with the love of Christ. But it's not the glossy event, it's the love. Love at its core is something that as Christians we can never get away from. It's the bread and butter of our faith. More than that, it's the lifeblood of our faith. Love is core and central to our expression of faith. Indeed, it is the essence. 1 John 4, 8 says, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The first part of verse 9 in Romans 12 said, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Now, my mind went on that. How do we pretend to love someone? What does it mean to pretend to love someone? Well, I guess you can imagine a few things. But it's simply a way of expressing that the love that we have for one another should be in every way opposite of pretense. In every way, at its core, uh, right through to its action, the opposite of pretense. Matthew Henry, now he's a commentator from a long time ago. Peter Swift will know. Dave Morse will probably know. Uh, he said, and I love, I love this, it is but a mock love which rests in the verbal expressions of kindness and respect while the wants of our brethren call for real supplies 
and it is in the power of our hands to furnish them. Do you want me to read it again? It is but a mock love which rests in the verbal expressions of kindness and respect while the wants of our brethren, it's an old way of just saying brothers and sisters, call for real supplies and it is in the power of our hands to furnish them. Beautiful. He goes on to say, it is the duty of those who have the wherewithal to distribute to those necessities. It is not enough to draw out the soul but we must draw out the purse to the hungry. Isn't that fantastic? When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality, Romans 12, 13. Now, just before you switch off from that word hospitality and think that's just reserved for Kathy Morse, that's Kathy's gift, just before you switch off from that, let me tell you the definition of hospitality. It's the act of being friendly and welcoming to guests and visitors. It's the friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. In another version, the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. There's not a mention of a roast dinner there. Not a mention of, oh my gosh, I've got to tidy the house. I could never have anyone around to my house because I couldn't possibly do that. Anyway, Lizzie told us we don't have to worry about cleaning our house. Did you hear that? I heard that. I wrote it down. (laughs) I thought if I didn't worry about cleaning my house, I'd never clean it. Lizzie, I need a little bit of worry. Can I have a little bit wherever she is? (laughs) Don't we need that? The people coming around, it kind of makes us do the things that we... Anyway, that's another story, not trying to take away from what Lizzie shared. It was brilliant. But there's not a mention of food or cooking or roast dinners in sight, but it's a way of being, a generosity of openness and warmth toward one another. You know, I haven't actually written this down, but since we did a a series some years ago, probably six, seven, who knows, years ago, uh, called A Spacious Life. And really, A Spacious Life was all talking about hospitality and not food and roast dinners necessarily, although, of course, that's a part of it but in the sense of welcoming and the sense of generosity to one another. And, you know, in all of our leadership meetings, so often it comes up, doesn't it? And we talk about it still. And we say, do you remember that series? Can we do that? Is there a way of sort of bringing that, that back in? And we've been meeting recently to, to re-establish our vision for our future seasons, and, and, and it's come up again. You know, this is, this is how we see ourselves. And, and church, we are a generous, loving, open church, absolutely. And we see that as part of who we are. And we see that as a part of our expression in going forward, absolutely. And um, it's exciting. But I don't want you to switch off when you hear those words. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager, let's change it, to practice the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. We can do that, can't we? And some of you can cook roast dinners. And we encourage you to do that. We encourage you to do the dinner party. We encourage you, like Lizzie said, to not worry about the mess in the house or whether you're still in your slippers or whatever and and, and begin to get better at receiving strangers and receiving one another. Although, of course, it's not just in the home, but it's all over the place, isn't it? It's all over the place. How many of you can think of a time when someone was warm and generous to you? It's funny, I started to think about this and the first three things that popped into my mind, I remember when we'd all just locked down into COVID. 
It's making me emotional. And a lady from tennis who I barely knew, who's not a Christian, who doesn't know the Lord as far as I know, texted me to see how I was going and how, how the kids were. And I know many of you did as well, but I just thought it was just beautiful. And I remember that same tennis group when I told them I was going into foster care and in a few weeks a baby was coming into our world. My gosh, I can't believe I survived that moment. But they hosted a surprise baby shower for me and to this day I still have many of the, the things that I was given, the little blankets and the rugs and we wanted for nothing. And also the, the other one that came into my mind was the reason Dave and I are in this church. So you have Joe King to thank. I see Robin Heather back there at the back. Joe um, is their son. And we went, Dave and I went looking for a church. We went from church to church. And you know what? To this day, we think it was a great thing because we actually went to all these different churches in Hobart and we sort of had done that. We never, ever considered. I mean, we're now the pastors, so you wouldn't want to be thinking about it. But we never, ever sort of thought, oh, I wonder if we should. You know, we, we felt like we'd, we'd spied out the land, so to speak. But one of the things that spoke to us so much when we walked into this very church, it was very different in many ways, but it was the spirit was the same, it was that Joe King came up and shook our hands and he genuinely um, showed the true gift of hospitality. He didn't cook a roast dinner, but he welcomed us and embraced us with warmth and sincerity that day. And that's the third thing that popped in my mind when I thought, you know, can I remember... A time in my life, a defining moment, if you like, in my life where someone had shown that warmth and generosity. It's so powerful, isn't it? It's so powerful and you've probably all got experiences where someone has done that. That's love. That's it. It's it's Joe's fault that we're in this church anyway. So if ever you're sort of wondering, it's Joe's fault. So I just wanted that to be clear. The love that God talks of is so much more than a Hallmark card or a Facebook post. It's wider and it's deeper than we could ever imagine. The love that God intends, also according to Matthew Henry's commentary, it's an affectionate love, the most genuine, free and kind love that there is. It's a respectful love, a love that honours and prefers others. It's a liberal love, a giving, encouraging love, free from judgment and expectation. It's a sympathising love that empathises with the plight of others. It's a unifying love that stands in labour and solidarity with one another. It's a reconciled love that is birthed from a place of contentment or humility. I have to think about that one. And it's a peaceful love that is slow to anger and not quick to argue or make enemies. The love that God calls us to have is compelling and it's challenging. John 15, 13 says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And beyond that, Romans 12, 18 to 19, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Loving one another is more than words, isn't it? It's shown through our actions. And we all know that. 
the best, best example that we have of this love is actually a church in the Bible. It's the first church in Acts chapter 2. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and I'm sure if you've been around, you've heard these verses. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which is another way of saying communion, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Wow. We read those verses and over the years, many, many times, people have tried and, 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 and sought after and tried to recreate this experience. Heck, some have even sold their houses and moved into communities. It was a real thing and it was at the 70s. Pete Swift, were you ever in a community? Did you guys ever join one? Was that, that sort of era though, wasn't it? We came in just on the back end of that. Uh, but we, I, I know that there were quite a number of people back in the 70s who really took literally these verses and tried to emulate. Well, they just often found they couldn't actually get on and <laughs> didn't actually work. But, you know, we, <laughs> so we're not sort of suggesting that we're going to do that. But, but what does it mean for us in our modern society and in the way we do our lives now and in our culture? How do we emulate the first church as it was, where the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved, where no one had need, where everyone was cared for. It's incredible. It's amazing. Let's look into it a little more. That's love. That's people seeing and hearing about Jesus through the way they love one another. Interestingly, as they cared for one another, people were added to their number daily. It doesn't say they went out into the streets. It doesn't say they ran a soup kitchen. Now, now there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, we need to go out and we need to, to, to help and we need to do that. But it was really the beauty of it is in the, that the way they love one another and the way that they care for one another revealed the love of Jesus. And it became attractive. Let's be attractive. Now, the attractional church has come under a lot of criticism in recent years. So when I started to write this, I started to think about comments around this so-called attractional church model. Let me explain. The concept of creating an excellent display within the four walls of the church, attracting people to the church to have them joined, and it's presumed that as a result of the great show, the church grows. And that, obviously, has come under criticism, that concept of creating uh, some sort of church and some sort of uh, show, in a sense, to, to encourage people to come and, and then the end result being that the church grows. And as I started to think about this, create the show, they'll be so amazed that they'll come. This has come under a lot of criticism, this, this approach. But then I thought about it and I thought, well, I don't know if that's really what's been happening. Trouble is, someone always creates a better show. The show gets tired. The show isn't enough. 
Now, I'm all for an excellent service, an excellent, excellent worship, an excellent atmosphere, excellent coffee. In fact, let's continue to lift the bar. And also, this is not a pick on the mega church. I've been to some great churches who do things well, who nail this stuff, and perhaps why that, that's why they continue to grow. But I've seen some ch- smaller churches where I've struggled to find love. It's not about the size or the professionalism of our church. It's about the depth of our hearts. It's not either or. It's not that, you know, we want to have a church that does things well and therefore because we're so focused on doing things well that we can't love the people. Or we want a church where we love the people but because of that we haven't got time to worry about doing things well. It's not either or. For some reason we often think it's got to be either or but it's both. Let's do things well and love one another. Let's have an excelling church and reach out to people in need. But I want to say to leaders, connect group leaders, and those in places of influence, don't allow your department to focus only on the things, only on getting the job done. Think of ways. In fact, devise plans on how you can love and care for your team more and more. Care and love for one another. Spend as much time in planning and preparing ways to care for one another as ways that we plan to get the job done well. We don't want to attract people to a show. We want to attract people to Jesus. And it's inferred in this passage that the attraction here was of a different nature. Real, genuine love for one another and love for one another in action. That's the kind of attractional church we should aspire to be. Going out into all the world is obviously important, but God created the church for a reason. Let's make it attractional for the right reasons. In this passage, it says that because of their great love for one another, the Lord added their number, to their number daily those who were being saved. Don't we want to see that? Don't we want to see people finding Jesus, finding this love that we have found? We're talking about growth that leads to salvation. We're talking about depth of discipleship. The early church, our first and most pure example of how God intended his church to function and thrive. They were number one. They were committed to the Lord's teaching. They were committed to the Bible, to the Bible as it was in those days and to the teachings and to the writings. They were committed to one another. They gave themselves and committed to one another. And they were committed to God's work in the world. It's a beautiful picture of spontaneous love, generosity and joy. And it's a picture to aspire to and to work toward. But interestingly, the early church also had something else that fueled all of this energy. And earlier on in the same chapter, it says in verse 1, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time... There were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. 
And they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, and then Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, somewhere at Pamphlet, Egypt, and the areas of Libya, around Cyrene. I was going to skip over these verses and not read them and I thought, well, we need the challenge here this morning. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans or Cretans, depends, and Arabs. I'm glad you're laughing. You should be. We need more of it. We need more laughter. And we all hear these people speaking their own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. And Peter, then I won't read it all, I'll, I'll stop, because I, I just won't, won't manage. But Peter takes advantage of the crowd, and he gathered them together, and he prophesied, and he preached, and he explained, and people found Jesus. And it says in verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptised and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Wow. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that empowered the believers then and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that empowers believers today. It's that which empowers us to love in the way that God has asked us to love. We don't do it in our own strength. We're not trying to love out of some pool that comes from within that we that we find within ourselves. It's, it's a different kind of love that can only come through a knowledge of Jesus, that can only come from and through Jesus. It can only come from the transformed heart of Jesus. And many loves, and that's not to downplay love, the love a father would have for a daughter in my situation, when that father, who might even be watching today, doesn't necessarily profess to love the Lord Jesus Christ. But his love for me was probably as deep and wide as it could be. And it's not to say that we can't love tremendously and that we can't love one another in in our own humanity beautifully. And we see evidence of that all the time. We see people that don't know the Lord reaching out to others But there's something else that comes when the Holy Spirit breathes on that love. There's something else which is deeper and wider and broader when the Holy Spirit is a part of that love. And sometimes I don't think we can even see that. It's not as easily defined. It's not something that you can say, oh, yeah, I can see that love's different uh, and it looks like this. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it's happening in the spiritual realm and it's prophetic and it's, it, it's in a different space than we can even perceive. And so it's not that people in the world who don't know Jesus can't love. Of course they can love. But there's power in the love that God can pour into us. There's power in the love that God can uh, use in us as a community of believers when we come together as a community of believers. And it's this purest version of the local church. Then it's this purest form of empowerment. Just as that is the purest version of the local church that we read in Acts chapter 2, this is the purest form of empowerment from his Holy Spirit. 
Being an attractional church in our love for one another. How do we do that? What does it look like? Or have we sold out to a modern version of self-made Christianity? Globalism and individualism stopped us from realising the truth that we need God, we need his Holy Spirit, and we need one another. Interestingly, and I didn't have time to read a whole heap on it, individualism is a state in which we now live. It came from the Age of Enlightenment, and I don't know exactly when that was. But basically this sense that we now live in where, uh, in fact, I'll just read what I found. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking this means Monsignor Michael Heinz said, by radical individualism, I mean the notion that our identity is something constructed and maintained from within by our own freedom and simply by our own definition. It's the notion that I am responsible to no one and for no one but myself and that all other relationships are a matter of my personal choice. I create and decide who I am. This is individualism. However, as Catholics, this guy's a Catholic, we recognise rather than our existence and our identity are first a gift, something received, and that we are called into being by the goodness and love of God. We exist first and foremost in a relationship with God and as a gift to others as well. One of the effects of sin is division. Setting ourselves up over and against others is itself an effect of original sin. Viewing all others, including God, as competitors and as impeding my own freedom and self-expression and self-assertion and self-promotion are the primal orientation of sin. Did I lose anyone? You can go look it up. I've got the link. I'll send it to you. Oh, and another guy, Reverend Wesley, this one. Oh, you can, if you want to find the, see the links and read on, you can. A yearning for community seems implanted deep within the human heart. Yet so much in modern society pushes us in the opposite direction. We worship individualism. Society is constructed as if I is at the centre of everything. The bottom line is that my rights, my prerogatives, my desires, my fulfilment and my wishes come first. Apps on social media often reinforce this. Uh, I won't read that bit. A more serious philosophical foundation lies beneath all this and then since the Enlightenment. Biblical wisdom, I'll pick it up, has a different starting point. God's saving work always moves toward creating a faithful community of God's people. The inspiring stories of the Old Testament are framed around calling, liberating and leading the people of Israel as a covenant community. The fulcrum of God's justice always falls on the side of shaping the shared life of a people whose hospitality and faithfulness reflect the covenant love of God. It's not about me, it's about we. And it's not about this church, it's about the church. It's about the people of God. God never meant for us to be isolated and alone. And, you know, when I thought about that, I thought, well, you know, I I probably feel the least isolated and alone than I've ever felt at the moment. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. His very nature is family and community. He created us to be born of a woman. 
Now, that seems obvious because that's what we know, but that's pretty intimate, just saying. He decided that we were to be conceived through the most intimate act known to humans. Sorry if I'm embarrassing anyone, but I find that fascinating that God created us. He created our very life form. He created our very um, way of being through the most intimate form of relationship. It's his DNA. It's his core. He designed us to live in families. He didn't design us to grow on trees. And I often say that, and I know that sounds ridiculous, and you're allowed to laugh because it is ridiculous, but he could have. He, he could have designed us any way he liked. He could have designed us to grow as a little pod on a tree and be picked, perhaps even eaten. I don't know. But he chose to design us as intensely uh, intimate and relational beings. He chose that. That's how he created us, to be together in family and to live together in communities. 